we are um, so we're starting a new little series, and I just want to start uh, this series and this morning by telling you a story. I have no idea if this is a true story or not, but uh, so <laughs> I can't I can't pretend if it exactly is a true story. But it's a story about a church, more traditional church, uh, who had a basically tended to do set services, you know, like so set prayer services or you know things that basically had the same liturgy every week. And uh, this was a fairly traditional old church, which used to do everything by hand and write out the services. And eventually they got to the point where they decided, you know what we should use? We should use computers and we should basically kind of systematize our services. And rather than writing out the service every time by hand, we can create a service plan on a computer, which means we can just press print every time we have a particular service. So every time we do some certain prayers, we'll just print it out and we'll use that one. Every time we have a certain wedding, we can use that one. And every we have, we have funerals. We can do the same. And so this, they, they systematized everything. They put it all on a computer. They felt pretty modern. And uh, this all worked pretty well until they got to a moment where there was a funeral. And someone in their congregation called Mary sadly passed away. And then a few weeks later, someone called Edna passed away. So they decided, okay, what we can do is we'll just tell the computer, we've just done a funeral for Mary. So now it's Edna. So all we'll do is we'll say whenever the word Mary comes up, we'll tell the computer to replace it with the name Edna. So Mary is now replaced with Edna. And obviously that all went really well until they got to reciting the Apostles' Creed together. And everybody said, I believe in God Almighty and in Christ Jesus, his only son, our Lord, who is born of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Edna. Okay. (laughs) The point of the story, obviously, is, is that sometimes we just do things on autopilot without really thinking through why we do what we do. Anybody ever put things in the microwave that they've meant to put in the fridge? Anybody ever done that? You think, what am I doing? What did I put? I put it in the microwave because we're just on autopilot. And uh, we can just do that in our lives. We can do things just because that's the way they've always been done. If you're married here, you would have discovered probably by now that both of you come with your own set of kind of like, this is how it's done simply because that's how my family did it. That's how, my, that's how we celebrate Christmas because that's always we, the way it's been done or how our parents did it if we had parents or we lay the table a certain way because that's how it's always been done or we cut onions a certain way because that's how my mum did or whatever and we just do things because that's the way they've always been done and that can happen in churches. Churches very easily, especially churches that have been around for a long time, can have a certain way of doing things which they just do it that way Because it's always been done that way. And it's not necessarily wrong, but the problem is is that we can start to operate simply out of tradition rather than ever asking the key question, which is why? Why do we do things the way we do them? And the why question is super important. It's just as important as the how and the what is the why. And in these next few weeks, we're going to talk about uh, what we believe as a church and why we believe those things. Why we do things the way we do. And we're calling this series DNA. And I guess during this kind of four-week series, we're going to unpack the DNA of this new church. So uh, for those of you who don't know, we've existed, I guess, as a church for about a year now. It's kind of difficult to pin the actual starting point. So I guess we, a few of us were kind of like chatting and praying in the autumn of 21, but as a group, we started to meet in the January of 22, first on Zoom, for those of you who remember that, because we couldn't meet in person. And then around March time, I think we could actually meet in person. So people are like, oh, that's what you look like. And that's, <laughs> you're an entire person rather than just this much of you. 
And then we started to meet on Sundays in houses from May. Uh, so, and then in November, we moved into the land, which is always Christmas, <laughs> as it's now becoming known. And uh, so I guess when you go through the process of starting a new church, one of the things which is really important is explaining who are we, what are we about, and why do we believe the things we do? And I happen to believe, I think Sarah and I were both, I'm sure many of us do, that clarity is really important. Being clear about the convictions we hold and why we hold them. And I think that's really important for all of us, and it's very important for those of us who are wondering, is this a church that might be right for me? I don't know. Clarity is super important. And I guess over these next few weeks, we're going to try and bring some clarity to not just how they do things, but why, what do they believe? And uh, I think we understand, to some degree at least, I understand, Sarah understands, I think many of us, how, uh, how it feels to walk into a church where we don't quite know what are they going to do, but why also do they believe that? Why do they operate the way they do? We understand how vulnerable that can feel. We understand how awkward it can be to walk into a church where you don't really know anyone. Um, and all of us come to a church, a new church, and we all have questions. We may not voice them immediately, but we have questions. We have questions like, What's going to happen this morning? Things like, where are the toilets? Is someone going to tell me? Sarah and I visited a church once. We couldn't even find the way in. Okay, that was a bit tricky because people could see us and we're like trying doors. It was like weird. How do I even get into this building? That's quite important. Uh, questions like, how many croissants am I actually allowed to eat? Okay. Uh, do they charge me for the croissants? Are they going to charge me if I eat more than three? The answer is yes, we will. Uh, no, we won't really. More importantly, will I feel comfortable? Are they going to do anything weird? Are they going to make me do anything weird? Will I find friends here? Could this be home? Will they accept me? What do they believe about certain things and why do they think the way they do? And I guess my hope is over these next few weeks is that we will unpack at least to some degree, well, here are some of the things we believe and this is why we believe them in a clear and healthy way because we believe it's important to be as upfront as possible so no one feels like you get involved in the church and a few years down the line you go, oh, I didn't know. I didn't know you thought like that, and I didn't know, I had no idea. And obviously, um, my hope is that if you're around for these next few weeks, you'll get to the end of the process and go, that was so helpful. And yes, that just confirms this sense of this is home for me. But I know that for some of us, we might get into a few weeks and go, oh, I didn't know you believe that. And that makes me feel uncomfortable. And maybe you may even get through it and go, maybe this isn't the church for me, Okay. And I'm not here to sell this church. I would say to every believer, you should be connected to a local church, a body of believers. Absolutely. And it may not be this one. We hope it is, but it may not be. The most important thing is that you find a home somewhere, not necessarily here, but somewhere. All I would say to you is if we teach something these next few weeks, which makes you kind of go, oh, and it makes you feel a little bit challenged or a bit uncomfortable, because it might do, all I would ask of you is that you question why it makes you feel challenged. Is it because I'm teaching something that actually is wrong and unbiblical? Okay, hopefully not, but maybe, maybe I've got... Or is it because the belief that you hold is more cultural than biblical? Okay, so I, wanna, I want to just gently challenge you that if you hear stuff, you kind of go, oh, I'm not sure. Question why you're not sure. It could be that, hey, maybe I said something that I've got to learn and think about. But it could be that we carry views about what church should be and should not be, because actually it's coming more out of the culture we live in than the Bible we read. So that's what we're going to go over the next few weeks. 
Uh, but for today, what I want to do in the time remaining is I want to talk about biblically what do we believe church is? What does the Bible, as best as we can say, what does the Bible say about church? Not about our church specifically, but about the church, any church, which obviously then informs the kind of church that I want to be part of, hopefully you want to be part of, and hopefully we're trying to uh, build here together. Now, we live in a city, don't we? And I think in a nation, and certainly in the West, most of the Western world, I think this would be true, maybe not all, but most of the Western world, would see the church as largely unimportant, often outdated, and often irrelevant to life. Certainly that was true in the UK, not every part of the UK, but a lot of the UK, that's exactly what, how they would see the church. And I think a lot of the Netherlands and lots of Western Europe and the Western world would go, church is just like outdated, it's slightly irrelevant, they're a bit bigoted. Okay, they really don't have much to say about the contemporary world. Abraham Lincoln once said, if all the people who fell asleep in church on a Sunday morning were laid out end to end, they would be a great deal more comfortable. Okay, and that's the picture people often have of the church. But it's not the Bible picture of the church. The Bible picture of the church is that the church is God's plan A for the coming of the kingdom of God on earth. It's not the only body through which God's kingdom comes. But I believe it's God's plan A for the coming of the kingdom, God's kingdom rule on earth. And we would teach that we live in the now and the not yet of the kingdom coming. One day God's kingdom will come fully when Jesus returns. But now we live in the age where God's kingdom is coming. And we experience something of that kingdom life now. Not fully, but we do to some degree. Which is why I think we can pray for people who are sick. And sometimes we see God's breaking in and healing them. Sometimes not. Because we're experiencing something of God's rule now, but one day we will fully. And therefore, we have an opportunity together to be part of God's plan A for the kingdom of God to come on earth. When I was 13 years old, which is about 10 years ago, I went to a Bible week. I'm joking, obviously. Uh, that I went to a Bible week, which was like a kind of big Christian camp. And I heard a guy called Terry Virgo who's a quite a well-known Bible teacher, is part of the family of churches, the founding father, really, of the family of churches that we're connected to as a church, teach on out of the book of Nehemiah. And I was only 13 years old, and it takes quite a lot to capture the interest for me, actually, as a 13-year-old, took quite a lot. And I remember hearing him teach about Nehemiah, which is a story in the Old Testament about Nehemiah goes back, hears the call to go back to Jerusalem because the walls are down in Jerusalem. And he sensed God speak about going back and rebuilding and it was a kind of like a prophetic message, really, taking that story about a call to build the church in the way that the Bible talks. About. There's a sense of a call to, no, 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 the church is not all it should be. Actually, the Bible picture of the church is magnificent, but often we settle for a church which is not magnificent at all. Either it's weird and no one can relate to it, or it's too much like the world and makes no difference. And this prophetic call to actually rebuild the walls of the church. And I could not have articulated this to you as a 13-year-old. But looking back, I know God planted something in me about the church to play my part. Oh, I, was slight. I began to get gripped by this sense of the church is not what it could be. But actually, biblically, there's this magnificent picture of what God wants the church to be. Churches. And the kind of church we want to be as a part of that bigger picture. So I want to pull out four pictures today that you get particularly in the New Testament, not only in the New Testament, uh, which describes something of what church should be like. Some of this will be familiar. Some of this might be new to you. I don't know. 
So, and, uh, so the first one is this. The New Testament describes the church as a people. Colossians 3 says this. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Paul writes to the church and says, you are a people. Often, most of the epistles are to churches, to the church corporate. Now, where I grew up, if you asked people what a church was, they would point to the building. They'd go, that's the church there, that building there. Now, we understand what they mean, but unfortunately, what becomes, happens in history is the church becomes affiliated with a building, which is why then people put huge kind of like emotional emphasis on the building. But biblically, the church was never a building. Buildings are important, very helpful, important facilities. But actually, that's not the heartbeat of what a church is, just like a family is not a house. Our family has moved from the UK to the Netherlands. Well, we haven't, you know, we've just moved house, but the family is still intact, okay? Because we're together. The people are the family, and the people are the church, not the building. And biblically, the big, or part of the big biblical narrative is that God has always been after a people, not just individuals. Genesis 12, God speaks to Abraham, calls him, and promises to make him and his descendants into a great nation and you just follow the old testament story through god the people of israel are in egypt in slavery god calls them out out into the exodus story remarkably out of slavery which is a mirror of what jesus is going to do putting us out of slavery of sin and calls out a people he says a people who i'm going to live amongst who are going to have my name they're going to be unique from the other nations around them so out of egypt into a new land into an inheritance and so the story goes on through the Old Testament into the New. And obviously we could spend weeks just talking about that. But you get to Pentecost. Jesus has lived, died, been resurrected. The pouring out of the Spirit and the start of Acts. And you get the birth of a church, basically from Pentecost. And the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on thousands, people from all over the world. And then 1 Peter says this, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So when we talk about church, we are talking about people who have a sense of identity together, not simply a gathering of individuals, but a sense of, no, no, we're a people. There's a tribe here beginning to gather in connection, in relationship, shared purpose, common agreement. So there's something inherently corporate about the church, not just individuals going to a building, although it is individuals going to a building. But the identity thing is corporate, primarily. Okay, here's another picture. has a similar meaning. The second one is this, the body. The Bible talks a lot about the church being a body, the body of Jesus. So 1 Corinthians 12, if you know the Bible at all, you may know this passage a little bit. It says this, just as a body, though one, has many parts, or members is another translation. But all its parts, members, form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, in other words, wherever you're from, whatever your background, whatever your history, whether your ethnicity or nationality or language group, we were given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So the people we are formed together is compared to the picture of a physical body. Yes, made up of many parts or members, but forming one body. In fact, that whole chapter in 1 Corinthians 12 is about that we are part of something together, describing us 
as a body. Now, this is hugely countercultural when you think of the Western world. Now, others of us come from nations where this is less of a cultural issue, but in the West, this is hugely countercultural because in the West, there are two dominant cultural values which cut against us. The first one is individualism. If you've grown up in the West, like I have, you tend to think of me rather than us. We think about how will this affect me, uh, what's going to happen to me, what, what are the plans for me. We tend to think the lens of me first. The other big cultural value, or you could call idol in, in, the, in the West, is the issue of materialism, consumerism. In other words, what am I going to get? What's in it for me? How, in what, so you put those two together, it's... It's all of what, what am I going to get and how is it going to impact me? What, what's in this for me? You layer on top of that a growing sense in the Western world of a cautiousness about committing to something, a cautiousness about institutions, an understandable cautiousness about government or about corporates or about banking, this sense of there's a slight commitment phobia and you put all those things together, they seep into the way we think, all of us, all of us, and they seep into the way we think about church. We can come to church and think, uh, what's in this for me? What do I get out of this? I'm not sure if I want to commit. Now, I understand some of those questions, by the way, but you can see how the secular cultural thinking seeps into the way we view church. So, at its most extreme, in the church in the West, often you think, people will think, do you know what, I don't think I need to be part of church. We deconstruct the idea of church. To be a Christian is about just me and Jesus. I can listen to worship music at home. I can watch the God channel or read some books that I like. And we've deconstructed it to, it's just me and my individual faith. And occasionally I might go to a church meeting in a building somewhere to make me feel a bit better. That is, that's at the most extreme. The pandemic has amplified that for us because we got used to doing it on home through a screen. We un un totally understand it. And then it's worse in the Western church. Uh, we boil it down to, it's just me and Jesus, uh, and I don't attend a church. Or if I do attend a church, uh, I never commit, connect. And if I don't, if I, I might connect, but I don't commit. That's where that pushes us. And I understand those questions and those perspectives. I do. Um, but I don't think it's the Bible picture of what church should be. Yeah? Now listen, just as a comment, for those of you who are new in the room, okay, I understand that engaging with the church, there are stages. It's totally appropriate to come along and check it out and work it out and come along for a while and not connect necessarily and not commit. I totally get that. But ultimately, if you're a follower of Jesus, everyone needs to find a church somewhere that we are a part of. Gordon Fee, who's quite a well-known theologian writes this, though entered individually, salvation is seldom, if ever thought of simply a one-to-one -one relationship with God in the Bible. While such a relationship is included, so it's real, that is true, to be sure to be saved means especially to be joined to the people of God. There is no salvation outside the church because God is saving a people for his name not a miscellaneous, unconnected set of individuals. So he's not saying you can't be a Christian without going to church. You can. He's saying the identity of a Christian is inherently mixed, connected to being part of a people. And you can't ultimately, biblically, disconnect being a follower of Jesus to being part of a people. 
And if we do, then we are hugely missing out on what God wants to do in your life and through your life. So it is a fundamentally an identity issue. And that's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 is talking about that we're members, like, like limbs, like organs of a body. So you can't take the liver and disconnect it from the heart and expect it to work very well. Well, you can't just take a foot and go, off you go. The foot's not going to work without the leg or without the heart pumping. It just doesn't work. It's, you're, you're disconnecting the limbs from the other limbs and the other organs. And that's what we've kind of done in the West. We've gone, oh, yeah, I can just do my bit over here. Well, it doesn't really work. So church is important because I think the Bible says it's important. And you put those two things together, it's a people and a body. Um, I love rugby. Bill loves rugby. I watched some rugby yesterday on the TV. Those of you who don't know what rugby is, it's a game with 15 people on each side who basically beat each other up for about 80 minutes. And, um, but when you watch rugby, uh, 80,000 people in London today will be watching a rugby match. There will only be 30 people on the pitch. And sometimes in church it can be a little bit like that. There's, there's one or two people running around in the middle. Everybody else is watching. Church is never meant to be a spectator sport. Yes, of course, there are certain people who lead things. Sock leads worship, or I get to speak today. But actually, church is a body in which we all participate. We are people called together a body of believers. Okay, that's the second. Here's the third picture. There's a picture in the New Testament that the church is a temple, says, of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Ephesians 2. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So the people are connected. They're a body. There's a connection. We each play our part. I don't just get to, I don't just consume. I contribute. I don't just attend. I participate. And as we do that, we experience something of God's presence in our midst because we're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, huge quick overview again we could take 10 weeks of this but we are made to know god and live in his presence that's the picture in genesis 1 and 2 adam and eve walk with god in the garden that is interrupted by the breakout of sin we can no longer be in his presence because he's holy and we're not so we get this dislocation we're made to be with him but now we can't be with him but god doesn't leave us there he starts to come after us to win us back so we can once again enjoy his presence and you see this unfolding in the old testament and then in the new so God starts to appear to certain individuals at certain times who experience something of his presence. Moses, the burning bush, suddenly there's something of his presence. Exodus 20 and the giving of the commandments, something of God's presence is on the mountain. But it is specific people in specific times in specific places. It's limited. But then you fast forward through and, the, and you get, well, the people of Israel, God says, okay, I'm calling a people out. Build me a big tent called the tabernacle. Okay. Then they, so they camp, they put this big tent up, and God's tent is put in the middle of the camp. It's like God puts a tent here and says, now I want you to begin to understand again what it's like for me to dwell in the middle of you. But again, a specific experience in a specific place. The, temple, the tabernacle then becomes a temple later on. So a physical place, God reveals something of his presence to his people, but in a particular time and a particular place. But then that's why Pentecost is so important because Pentecost is this kind of pivotal moment in church history where now all the prophetic promises that actually God is going to pour out his spirit on all flesh, not just certain people at certain times. And we can experience something of God's presence in us individually. 
So God comes to us and fills us by his spirit. And no longer is it just particular people in particular places. Now, the New Testament, though, also says, not only am I a temple of the Holy Spirit, and you are, but we are the temple of the Spirit. In fact, the emphasis of the New Testament is that we are more than just I am. Okay, four times Paul uses the picture that we together are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in your midst? Gordon Fee again says, the local church is God's temple in the community where it is placed. And it is so by the presence of the spirit alone. It means this. If you want to know God, if you want to encounter him, if you want to walk your life with him, which is what obviously the New Testament says, walk by the Spirit, really the only place, the best place that you can live that kind of life out from individually is being part of a body locally in a church. Because it's together that we primarily experience God's presence because he's always been after people who he wants to dwell in. And he says, it's like a picture, you're the temple now. So local churches, wherever they are across Rotterdam, are temples are gathering their places of the manifestation of God's spirit. Yes, you carry individually if you're a Christian, because you can't become a Christian without the spirit of God. Okay, Yes, that's true individually, but even more so together. There is something unique about this, the presence of God together that we don't get to experience on our own. So it's a temple. The church is a temple. And then lastly, this, this picture is more implicit than explicit. But it's the picture of God's church as an embassy, his kingdom embassy. In many ways, like I said, more implicit than explicit. I don't know if you've ever been to an embassy. Uh, I guess some of us, given that we're from all over the world, we have, right? <laughs> you speak to people in other churches, they're like, well, I've never been. But most of us, because we live in a country that isn't necessarily our place of origin, we may have experienced embassies. Well, often embassies, or embassies always, are a place, an expression of another nation's rule and reign in that place. Yeah? So if you go to the British embassy somewhere, or the American embassy, or the French embassy, or whatever it is, you will find something of that nation's rule in that place. And that, although this isn't technically true, you know, American, the American embassy in the Netherlands is not American soil. Effectively, they treat it like it is. Right? You know, an attack on an embassy is an attack on that nation. And I had a friend who worked in embassies. In fact, I think he may have even become an ambassador. I can't remember. But basically, he represented, he worked for the UK government. He represented the UK government all over the world, speaking for, on behalf of the UK government in all sorts of places in Africa and other nations. Well, this is what it says about us in 2 Corinthians 5. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we employ you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. The church is a gathering place, an expression of something of Christ, God's kingdom rule on earth now. It's like an embassy. It's like something of God's rule is uh, expressed and embodied in the church in a foreign land, in other words. Okay? So you read Ephesians, and I love that passage in Ephesians 3. It says this, His intent was that through the church... The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities 
of the, in the heavenly realms. That manifold wisdom is like the multicolored wisdom. So something of the diversity and integration of the church is a prophetic sign to the world of God's kingdom rule on earth. And the church is here. In other words, we're not just here for ourselves. We're here for the people who are not in the room. We're here to express something of kingdom's, God's kingdom rule now in our own lives, but also spreading out into the lives of the world around us. Tom, uh, Tom helped me with this. He sent through some, some work he'd done on this. So I'm going to quote Tom, just so you know. He said it so well that I thought, I'm just going to nick his phrases. The church is an embassy of his kingdom. It means that the church serves to show what the kingdom looks like. It is a preview, I love this, of the coming new creation. It is a living message of divine hope. We represent God's heavenly kingdom. We are Christ's ambassadors. So, the church cannot simply... You should write that down, it's very good. So the church should never simply be a meeting we come to. Or something I attend. Now, like I said, if you're new in the room, I totally get there are seasons of just attending and working it out. I totally get that. But ultimately, the church should be, never be a place we just attend or a building we just go to. It is a people we enter individually, yes, but we are joined together corporately to display to the world something of what God's kingdom rule and reign looks like. It challenges and loves and serves the world and makes a difference in, to the community and in our case to the city in which we're placed. So the church can never, should never be just a nice club that we're a part of and we have a nice time and we go home. The church should always be here to make a difference to the world in which we live. C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Narnia stories and a few other books, said, a church is the only organisation that exists primarily for the benefit of non-believers, non-members. So that is why we are here. And that is why we believe church is so important. For believers, because we're made to be part of a local expression, but also for the city. Now, obviously, like I said, that's what we would love everybody in this room to say, yeah, I think maybe this is a, maybe a local expression that I want to be part of, that I could potentially be joined to. But more than anything, what I want to say to all of you, if you're a follower of Jesus, then find somewhere, if not here, that you are known and you can be known, somewhere where you serve and can be served, somewhere where you receive but also you give, somewhere where you can make a difference to the community and to the city. That's why we're here. And in the next few weeks, I'm going to talk a little bit more uniquely about what we specifically feel called to. But I'd love us to stand, and I think I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to close.